Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. A note of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast, bringing you high-profile and under-the-radar cases from across the country every week. I'm Owen Michael. My co-host, Billy Jensen, is out of town this week. With me is Eric Rossoff. Retired Burbank police lieutenant with uh, 31 years in law enforcement and an expert in campus security and threat assessment. Welcome, Eric. Nice to see you again. Thank you for uh, having me back, sir. More fortunate circumstances today, but that unfortunately it's the afternoon of Thursday, November 14th, 2019. We are recording this in uh, in the L.A. area, and this morning a student reportedly shot several others in a suburb in the city of Santa Clarita, about 35 miles north of downtown Los Angeles. Santa Clarita is an affluent suburb. It's the site of a Six Flags Magic Mountain. Uh, very nice neighborhoods up there. Um, we got a report this morning. Everybody's waking up, doing their morning routine, and hear this all-too-familiar refrain these days. Eric, we've talked at length previously on the show about uh, current topics relating to school safety, campus threats, that kind of thing. Unfortunately, today is one of those days. Uh, to give you a little background, we've got, uh, it, uh, as I said, it's the afternoon of November 14th. Some of these details may change. A lot of the stuff is preliminary reports. Los Angeles County officials uh, said this morning and updated through the day, uh, the Santa Clarita Sheriff's Station received a report of shots fired at Saugus High School at 7.38 a.m. this morning. Sheriff's deputies arrived two minutes later on campus at 7.40 a.m. They encountered six victims in the quad area of the school. The victims were immediately triaged and hospitalized. The shooting suspect, it turns out, a 16-year-old male student at the school, was one of the six transported there, uh, Villanueva, according to the sheriff Villanueva, Villanueva, I should say. The suspect remains hospitalized in grave condition as the last thing we've heard, although we have heard conflicting reports that he is dead, he may be brain dead, whatever the case may be. He's hospitalized and he seems to be neutralized. Witnesses and video surveillance have confirmed the shooter's identity, according to the sheriff. They haven't uh, identified him, but again, they say he's a 16-year-old male student. L.A. County uh, Sheriff's homicide captain uh, said today is the suspect's 16th birthday. The weapon was found at the scene. It's described as a 45 caliber semi-automatic pistol, which was empty. The suspect's Santa Clarita residence, which is uh, within miles from the school, was located and investigated for possible further victims. Search warrant was in process this afternoon. Uh, L.A. County Sheriff's deputies say the suspect's girlfriend and his mother were being interviewed at the sheriff's station. Uh, One of the officials said the school surveillance video clearly shows the suspect taking a gun from his backpack, shooting five people, and then he turns the gun on himself, shoots himself in the head. 
No further individuals are suspected in the shooting, according to officials. Uh, so far, a female student age 16 has died uh, this morning. A second student later died in the afternoon today, a 14-year-old boy. Also hospitalized are two females, 14 and 15 year old, years old, and another 14-year-old male student. Um, Eric, what is your immediate assessment this morning or this afternoon as we, as we receive some of these, some of these details? Well, the immediate response is the same as everyone else's shock and dismay and uh, confusion and frustration, you know, wrapped up. Uh, I have a 15-year-old daughter and, you know, that at any given time, you know, there's 10 million uh, high school students in the United States mm -hmm. and many uh, parents and students this morning, you know, in just Los Angeles County, we woke up and depending on the status of what our hair looked like or what was going on during the day, we went through our routine and we sent our children to school. And these, this is just another in um, an all too frequent set of circumstance that as a parent and I'm sure with students and just the community at large, we think what's happening and what I think, you know, what can I do? Mm -hmm. What should we be doing that's different? Mm -hmm. I, we're, we're beyond the... This shouldn't be happening. We're, we're, we're well past that now is, you know, what, uh, what are our action plans moving forward? So uh, there's not any good news coming out this morning. They did say uh, due to how early it was this morning, it was 730 essentially is when this happened. Uh, and school wasn't fully in session, as I understand, it, until eight. So it wasn't even as crowded as it could have been. It's not clear at all, since we don't have identities on any of these people, whether these five other students that this suspect shot were people that he knew and were, you know, some sort of retribution or if he was just randomly taking people out before he took himself out. Um, uh, again, all these details are preliminary right now. Uh, things may change. Um, some remarkable items that uh, we were talking about. A, it was his birthday today. So we don't know, uh, you know, whether some rejection going on, whether there's some extra anxiety or depression related to that. Pure speculation, obviously. Um, also, the, the, the demographic profile, they identified this student as a 16-year-old Asian male, which uh, belies sort of the, um, I, I don't want to say it, it's a stereotype, but there's a, there's a certain archetype that you think of as school shooters, as disaffected white youth. This, the fact that this is an Asian-American student, um, like I say, I'm not making any judgments one way or the other. Uh, there could be bullying factors uh, going along like that. Have you uh, have you heard any other details as far as uh, what you're following or anything, any leads that uh, you, you know about this morning or this I, afternoon? I uh, have contacts uh, both with the LA County Sheriff's Department and with the Hart Newhall uh, School District. Um, however, being involved in directly in events similar to this and now you know uh, spending a considerable amount of time researching it. Um, my interest goes kind of beyond the immediate, and I'd like to be able to establish a fact base, mm -hmm. and that's going to be some time before that's established. Mm -hmm. That said, I think uh, part of – we get kind of caught up in the demographic mm -hmm. of what's going on. I think probably more the focus is on the psychographic sure. uh, of what's happening. You know, what, what uh, there's obviously – uh, some type of influences that are taking place that led to a uh, troubled person engaging in violence. And I don't know that it's um, 
practical uh, for us to get too locked into a certain type, you know, uh, uh, an ethnicity, race, gender, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. is most likely there'll be trends that will tell us one way or another. Mm-hmm. But I think we have to be kind of careful about getting too locked in because one of the things that we want to look at is I think more is the psychographic sure. uh, because we might say, oh, this person that might be Asian right. uh, might be displaying some of these things, but they're not Anglo, so they really probably aren't one of the people that could, would engage in this. Right. Uh, you know, and when they, they brought up that detail several times in a press conference and reporters and things like that, and I thought at first it was a little awkward, but then I, I recognized why that they, you know, if why that that was sort of a distinction made but i agree i don't i wouldn't want to get hung up on that because it is definitely about the psychology there's also it seems to me that there's a like a socioeconomic situation going on here as well it's an affluent high school um i don't know santa clarita that well but uh i you know you sort of presume that most of the kids that go there are sort of on that same footing so that um they're more alike than dissimilar uh, in many ways, not to put uh, all students in, in a box or anything like that. I mean, we're all going through that that high school experience. Right. And I think that like any other community, there's going to be a range of mm-hmm. what the socioeconomic uh, reality is for anyone of the uh, any student that might be attending school there. Um, and along the way, you know, we know uh, without doubt that. Uh, issues like this uh, can be prevalent in the most affluent of homes mm-hmm. as well as homes that, you right. know, uh, don't have all the resources. No discrimination and violence or, or anything like exactly. that. Exactly. Do you happen to know offhand what sort of the stats tell us about school shootings as far as that goes? I mean, I think we hear more in, in the media, and I'm as guilty as anybody, I'm in the media, um, that these kind of things get higher profile versus sort of... Um, uh, you know, like a more rural school or a more uh, downtown type of school that you might not hear about violent incidents there, um, that kind of thing. Would you speak to that a little bit? Well, I would say that um, on the threshold type of event like we had today, there's going to be coverage on it regardless. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are acts of violence that are taking place on campuses across the country. Sure. And those acts of violence, um, it's kind of a hit and miss sometimes because you'll get maybe a more affluent area that will go out of their way maybe to try to suppress it, Hmm. you know, and not make it as big a deal as it is. It might get some local like social media buzz, but it might not make like national news Mm -hmm. where other areas it might be more prone to get out and uh, get focused on. Uh, uh, And I don't know that there's a hit and miss to that. What I always kind of focus on is, uh, are we being honest about what's taking place? And are we doing the best we can to use the resources we have to try to impact whatever um, our uh, risk factors might be. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of which, and I, I brought this up a little earlier, earlier uh, as sheriff's officials have said, the, 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 the shooter's girlfriend and his mother are both uh, being interviewed or were being interviewed by authorities. The fact that uh, he has a girlfriend um, and apparently a, a mother, you know, the fact that there is a parental unit happening, yeah. there is a, a relationship, that kind of thing. We have no idea what the circumstances are. Again, uh, all these details are in flux. There's a lot of speculation here, so yeah. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Um, but that also struck me as odd because you think of the disaffected loner as the shooter. Again, it's a stereotype, but it may not be based in reality. That was surprising to me. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, there's two parts to it, right? There, There is a pattern in uh, Department of Homeland Security and the FBI, and there's classes and, you know, they, they do exhaustive studies. And mm-hmm. there is kind of that 
white male disenfranchised student mm-hmm. that would the Columbine be, profile. Kind there of you go. Right. Um, however, that's that's. I, I think there may be a tendency to the media to try to fit things into certain boxes, mm-hmm. you know, where sure. I, those folks that are actually responsible for responding and trying to make a difference, I think we try to stay out of the box. We, we recognize it, but don't get caught in the box, you know, as, uh, you know, stopping us from looking beyond. Well, you might miss some things right. that way, too, if, you're, if you get stuck on that. And as you pointed out many times already, uh, what, what's being reported as, a girl, as his girlfriend may or may not be his girlfriend mm-hmm. at the end mm-hmm. of the day, mm-hmm. that uh, uh, it could be. But we really don't know. Uh, and again, I think someone says girlfriend and that right, like what someone said, Asian American. And that became uh, something we don't hear all the time. Let's get it out. There's a hook there. There's yeah. a girlfriend. Let's get that out. Yeah. And again, we take a deep breath and we're get, all this is going to play out. The sheriff's department, ATF, there's many, many uh, groups of folks that are involved, um, you know, not the least of which are crisis counselors and, and others that are going to be um, responding to the school and looking out for, you know, the surviving students and the extended families. It's, um, there's an, a, an immense response that's going on. Uh, my discipline in this is what have we learned and how can we, can, how can we apply it to be more efficient? With that said, the logistics of what appears to have happened here is that the quad, I'm not familiar with this high school, but the quad is sort of the common area. And, uh, you know, I saw a bunch of different interviews with students. Uh, some had lamented the fact that they weren't prepared enough or they, you know, who could, you know, this thing happened so quickly. Uh, others were talking about how I even heard some students, more than one student talk about how we need metal detectors on, on campus. And we, we've, Eric, you've been a, a guest on here before. We talked about that and that how that used to be sort of more of a, um, black mark on your school or, or sort of a, a bad indicator. And nowadays you've even got, I mean, this, this is a fairly affluent area up here. This also happens to be a, a high law enforcement, um, uh, residential area. A, a lot of people, this is kind of a well-known thing in Los Angeles County. Um, I was struck by the fact that two minutes, I mean, they always show quick, but uh, two minutes is a, a fantastically fast response time. Fortunately, it was too late. Um, what were your thoughts on the, we've talked about hardening schools, uh, you know, metal detectors, that kind of stuff, versus how you kind of idealize how you want your kids to go to school. Is it open campus and, you know, walking around the quad and that kind of thing and being unstructured and things like that? And this, how can you prevent against something like this? Yeah, the prevention thing is always going to be, um, uh, there's a target out there, but I'm going to say that's probably fuzzy at Mm -hmm. best about prevention. Uh, the last time we had a chance to visit, I talked about there are predator vendors, you know, that will say, I've got a widget that will fix this problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't believe that widget exists. And the whole idea about metal detectors, it's exactly what you what you just brought up. Um, I want my child and I think parents want their children to go to a school that's safe, but also warm and inviting and welcoming to the educational process. And how do you balance those things between metal detectors and you know, the first thing my child sees going, walking through the door is I'm going to get wanded by somebody. I think I shared with you last time here that I was invited to speak at the Los Angeles City Attorney's uh, Blue Ribbon Council on, uh, Commission on School Safety, mm-hmm. uh, specifically related to hardscape mm-hmm. issues. And, um, you know, I, 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 my thought is always if, there's, um, if there is technology that we believe could um, – help prevent or dissuade any type of violent act from happening on campus, we should absolutely explore that technology explore in 
in the context of, you know, a perspective-based context. Uh, but there were folks that were vehemently against it. And I think a lot of it, 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 they weren't attacking the technology as much as the use of the technology and that it seemed to be an ethnicity would be pulled out randomly okay. more than other sure. uh, ethnicities. So uh, along with the technology comes an incredible amount of training. And uh, but before the technology lands at the school, there has to be a stakeholder-based do we want to have this technology? And if we do, how would this technology be used? The last part, and we're going to talk about this again, I bet today, is what's the oversight of that? Mm-hmm. Who's, you know, who's running it? And, who's controlling it? And, uh, and who, who is just, where's the accountability factor? Sure. Because unfortunately, all too often, we put systems in place. Um, and then everybody walks away because they make us feel better. Oh, we have we have detectors, right? And that made people feel better. But at the end of the day, were they actually better and, or did they cause more of a problem? As you brought up the last time as well, a great example is prisons who have the – I mean, look, depending on the prison, some are woefully under uh, out of date, but some are state-of-the-art. And bad stuff happens all the time, buddy, uh, with the, with cameras and, and the whole thing. All that stuff is not is not even a deterrent. Saugus High School is a modern high school in Los Angeles County and mm-hmm. has some of the technology. And they have a law enforcement, uh, a two-minute law enforcement response. Sure. They have uh, security folks on or near campus. Um, and they have everything that, uh, as a parent, you would want to hear. And everything school boards say when we ask, what are you doing yeah. about this? They they knock it out of the ballpark. The, the thing that struck me was the fact that, um, right, this school is, has just about everything that you could want in that situation. And still, this could not be prevented, you know, a five-minute incident like this. Uh, that's very depressing. Um, I'm also thinking... As far as the uh, just to one last thing on the technology of it, is there something is there something to be said for the aesthetics? If you could build, I mean, again, this is this is widgets and that kind of thing. But if you could build a, a, a metal detector that was sort of in a door frame or a type of thing that's not so conspicuous, um, you know, I'm just thinking out loud here. But is is that usually is that the biggest factor that people re- reject? And also, if I'm a student there. And I see these official-looking, scary-looking things. Is that kind of a good deterrent? Do you know what I mean? Like, if yeah. if if that's if that's removed and it's a softer-looking thing, then am I less deterred? But it's more effective. I mean, do you have any thoughts either way on that? Yes. What I would say is um, there's a there's an X factor. You know, it's uh, solving for X. Sure. Is um, are there students that are maybe on a fence about, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in such a stressor that they're on the fence? And would the knowledge of the technology or the other measures that we have in place keep them on the right side of the fence? There's no way to quantify that. Right. Um, also, on the other side would be I'm determined to do this. And regardless of what I have in place, I'm going to be capable of doing it. Right. Then it comes to... Before uh, before they even got to the fence, what systems did we have in place to um, uh, from the outside looking in that would have potentially identified that this student was on the way to the fence, mm-hmm. and so we could intervene before they had to make a decision about mm-hmm. it, and also then to try to minimize the otherwise avoidable injury or chaos that might happen by if the event does happen and there's shots fired or some other dynamic event on campus, do our, as the staff and are the students prepared to like a reflex response about what they're supposed to do? And, you know, we're, 
absolutely in the infancy of training mm-hmm. related to this. And I'm sure you've read these things now, right? Where parents are up in arms about they're actually trying to recreate active shooters on elementary school campuses. And that's doing more harm than good, most likely. You hear a lot about kids traumatized and going home and crying about this stuff. You and, bet. You know, I would never want my kid to, yeah, to have to yeah. deal with that. On the other hand, I mean, my goodness, this is a reality. So, and that's as we continue to uh, develop and emerge and we continue to do these after action reports and see the most consistent factors we can design training that, um, because in in any sort of dynamic event, um, there's going to be a paralysis, even with with cops, you know, and other first responders. Human beings. Right. There's There's a paralysis, but um, what you? Uh, what's the practical level of training to give to um, staff for sure, but then age appropriate to students? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw the same things you were watching today on television, where mm-hmm. some of the students said they self evacuated, mm-hmm. and some of the students said we didn't feel prepared, we didn't do any of our training, we just mm-hmm. self evacuated, um, and other students said no, we did exactly what we were supposed to do. I just before I got here, I was reading something in the L.A. Times about how students got into a room, they locked themselves in the room and armed themselves with a fire extinguisher yeah. because that's... I, I imagine if you're a student these days that this is sort of, uh, if you're paying attention, you're sort of, this is becoming second nature. You hit it right on the nose. I think what happens is uh, I was talking to a colleague of mine about that Los Angeles Time article and we were speculating how much of that was the kids developed the plan versus the school had the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, what we'd like to do is merge those things together um, to say this is what we expect you to do, but... There are um, there are influences involved. You know, there's still a fight about, hey, we know that there are still campuses that are saying, we've got this. Mm-hmm. We know that there are campuses that are saying, hey, we're working really closely with local law enforcement. And I think I said the last time I was here, I am local law enforcement, and I don't know what that means exactly. You know, tell, what's your plan? Working with us is, you know, we're yeah. having a conversation. But And look what the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, you know, uh, an elite law enforcement agency mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. They got there immediately and they did exactly what you would expect them to do. And that didn't have any impact on what actually took place right there. The One of the things, uh, you know, it as again, we'll find out more details as this goes, but uh, if this is a more determined shooter and had had gone with ill intentions to go around and go, you know, some of the worst things that we've heard of versus just turning around and taking his life right off the bat, you know, God bless the fact that the sheriff's deputies arrived as quickly as they can. This is about as good as you could expect in a, uh, in a, in a horrific situation like that. So um, that being said... In 1999, there's the Columbine thing in, in, for example, Sandy Hook's 2012, and yet we're still in the infancy of uh, research on this stuff and, and, and different crisis response across the country, everything else. And I'm not saying that I'm frustrated with that. It just seems um, I, each one of these things is a, is a discrete, sim, uh, is a very separate, concrete uh, set of circumstances. Um, so it's tough to... Yeah, and there, tough to train a, for that, I suppose. It is frustrating, and there's a history to it, though. Um, when there's a, um, a a societal issue that has um, a, an impact on the community and vulnerable members or any members of our community, uh, the immediate response is to turn to law enforcement mm-hmm. and say, "What are you doing about this?" And what we found out over and over again is. Uh, law enforcement um, isn't really – after Columbine, law enforcement changed the way that law enforcement responded 
to Columbine-style incidents. Going in right away versus right. In, in, but, engaging but the shooter. But society didn't change anything about what led to the Columbine-style incident. Mm-hmm. Um, criminal street gangs. Uh, we, right. we looked at criminal street gangs as a, as a law enforcement issue, and it wasn't until we started to recognize that this is the war on drugs, mm-hmm. you know, is a is a cop problem, and it's not a, you know until there's a partnership mm-hmm. between law enforcement because there's violence involved in this. There has to be a partnership between law enforcement, but there also has to be a partnership with the stakeholders, the end game user, which are parents, students, sure. and staff. Community. And now we're starting to figure out, even though law enforcement has. Um, designed very efficient response scenarios. Um, it's society. It is our chance now as parents and students and staff. We have to hold up our end of this and do the best that we can to hold everybody accountable, saying, let's try to minimize the need for those cops to have to put that response scenario in place because there's things that we can do to do that. Such as, because, uh, you know, we hear the same stuff mm-hmm. every single time, which is which you know adds to the frustration of this uh, this stuff it's the same stuff we hear every time and right. yet uh, again this this is about as a good response as you could as you could possibly hope for in uh, uh, in an awful situation so what wh- what do you mean thank you it's important to preface that i i'm not speaking directly to this of event course. Um, but uh, uh, a pattern has developed that we'll find out uh, at threshold type of events like this that the district the state um, the school had one or more systems in place, uh, policies, practices, or procedures. And the purpose of the policy, practice, or procedure was first to maybe have stopped the bad thing from happening in the first place. And then second, it would be to have minimized the impact of whatever the event was. Those are the policies and practices. The reality is that school districts across the country have no money. They can't train to them. They're being told, you know, legislatures will come up with new rules and new uh, you know, uh, responsibilities that's, that get dumped into an educational system that is already overwhelmed. So what we do is we buy the widget and we don't train to the widget and, and we don't, uh, we have a policy. And if anybody asks, what are you doing about this? Right. We'll point to the policy, but nobody ever looks behind the curtain to say, are we really, do, are we capable of doing this? And that's where I'm going to put the challenge. I'm throwing the challenge to students and parents to say, uh, I, I can kind of understand parents' hesitancy to look behind the curtain because this is paralyzing. It's paralyzing. With all my heart, I want to believe that um, you're doing, as the school district, you're doing what you say you're doing mm-hmm. when it comes to protecting my, my, my daughter, mm-hmm. my, our children. Um, uh, however, uh, I'm an expert in this, and I know that we're not. And, uh, but I'll tell you that I've uh, run my head into the wall and I've, yeah, I've screamed at the moon, and it's tough to get other parents to try to get 10 parents to go to a school board man- meeting. You get, you know, oh, that's that guy that's trying to cause the problems because um, we're pulling back the curtain and the boogeyman's there. We might find out that our children might not be as safe as they're supposed to be. And I just, with all, number one, let's just pray it doesn't happen here. And number two, if it does happen here, let's hope that they actually really are doing what they say they're supposed to be doing. Thoughts and prayers. I can't accept that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, there has to be a call to action to say that uh, that there's got to be a voice. I'll scream it from the mountains. That it's not things that you believe are in place are not in place. Mm-hmm. Things that we uh, we are being told are happening aren't happening. If you ask a, a school board member. 
uh, you know, they're going to tell you, we've got this. But you ask a teacher in an elementary school, they're going to tell you, I don't have a clue what it is I'm supposed to do. The politics versus practice uh, in the day to day. I don't want to make it that simple, but it is that simple mm-hmm. that uh, there it's and I, I, I caution myself. I get a little bit over the top on this. Uh, I don't believe that most of this is sinister. I think that part of it just has to do with the fact that the school district isn't equipped with the expertise to know whether they're doing it right or not. Again, that's where there's supposed to be this partnership with law enforcement and other first responders. However, law enforcement and other first responders, uh, they'll provide a layer of training. But frequently, if you look at that training, it has to do with what the police department's going to do if there's an active shooter. Coordination and things like that. We have to be able to do better than that, that Mm -hmm. our policies, again, the policies for, uh, please understand, I don't know the background, the facts on this case, but I do know other cases where there were absolutely uh, um, warning signs in place weeks before the bad event happened. And there was this, there were systems in place to have addressed that at multiple levels of uh, between school districts and law enforcement. And all along the way, those systems failed. And the thing that frosts me, it frosts me, is that had anybody looked, we would have seen that those systems were going to fail. But um, I, I've, uh, I have some colleagues of mine and myself where I'll talk to a group of, of friends and, and uh, other parents and they'll say, yeah, Eric, you should go to the school board and talk to them about that. And it's easy for the school board to poo-poo me. It's not easy for the school board not to pay attention to 35 parents that are inside, uh, inside mm-hmm. a boardroom. But also, before the parents or the students walk inside that boardroom, they have to be prepared with facts. They have to know what is it that we say that we're doing and are we really doing it. The group I believe to do this is the students, age-appropriate students. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, you have an entire generation now that uh, is sort of being acclimated to this. My generation has horribly let them down. Mm -hmm. You know, I look at my daughter every day, and we talk about this frequently because she's impacted by it. And I want to be able to look at her when she's saying, hey, Dad, what are you doing? Because she knows I'm an expert in this. And she sees her mom making phone calls on behalf of, you know, Mother's Demand Action. And she sees me, you know, coming on, getting these wonderful opportunities to talk about the bigger picture. Um, But it's going to be her that makes the difference. It's going to be her generation that steps up and demands that something has to change. But right now, they have no voice in this. None. They don't vote. (laughs) You know, they don't contribute. There, this particular school, and uh, I think there's 2,400 students uh, as of two or three years ago. That's a lot of students. That's uh, at least a thousand more than the school I went to, but isn't either here nor there. That's a needle in a haystack if there's a situation there. So it really is up to almost the, the sort of the peer um, uh, peer awareness kind of thing. Of uh, you know, of course, there's problems about bullying and there's singling out and false positives and things like that, but. As we say, there's an entire generation here of people that are getting, you know, from grade school on uh, dealing with this, that at a certain tipping point, you have to sort of think that um, they are going to be the ones that kind of rescue. Yeah, there's no situation. um, You know, what we what we strive for, right, is that this can't be normal. It's Mm -hmm. become common, but we we can't let it become normal, that there has to be the consequence that that's here has to be that we're, we're doing everything that we can possibly do. You know, it's a, it's an extreme um, um, example, but uh, there was a layer of security at airports, mm-hmm. and then terrorists flew airplanes into buildings, 
And uh, that woke a lot of people. And I remember, uh, and actually I was proud of him when he did it. And I, for, forgive me, I can't remember the person's name that went in front of Congress and said, I let you down. But I remember that moment. And it was a, it was a profound moment because he says, we didn't do what we were supposed to do to protect you. That moment's now related to these things. That, but nobody will step up and say, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing to protect you. Mm-hmm. The, the bureaucracy of um, uh, federal, state, local assistance to schools, the lack of communication, you know, uh, uh, the uh, continuing to ask uh, school districts to do more with less. Um, and then you throw this on top of it. I've already had my shot at it. My generation has had our shot at it. And you know what, you know, we tend to think globally. Let's get all the guns and let's do this. And, you know, I certainly have an opinion about that. But the only influence that I have is I can contribute to people that think the way I do and I can vote. Mm -hmm. You know, but that's all I can do globally. Locally, I can make a difference. But the only way I make a difference is if I walk into the room with facts and I uh, expose that we could be doing a better job here. Uh, agree. And, I, you know, uh, a lot of these kids that were interviewed outside of the thing, as well as the parents, um, they were kind of frustrated in how, you know, the reunification process, uh, a, a lot of, you know, when you drop your backpack and you run or whatever, you may or may not have your phone, you can't contact, uh, you've got right. worried parents out there. So I have to imagine kind of the conversations that these people are having in the receiving line or whatever it is outside this line waiting for their kids, waiting for the word, whatever. I mean, it's excruciating to watch some of these things of these people waiting to find out what's going on. Um, so I, I have to think that at a certain level, that creates this really unfortunate uh, uh, bond uh, all the way across the country of, of now an entire swath of, of families that are affected by this every day. Every day. And uh, I've received phone calls from Dave from clients that I have, school, uh, uh, school district clients, about uh, the now uh, let's do some tabletop training on, you know, uh, let's do a tabletop training, not about the event, but what would it look like an hour and a half or two hours after the event? Let's pick it up there mm-hmm. because exactly right. what you're talking about, what is our re- reunification? It, you know, unfortunately, like I said, this isn't, this is a very low frequency, incredibly high risk event. And so on any low frequency, high risk event, the best we can do is try to have some predetermined common factors, so to speak, in the can that we don't have to we don't have to come up with a plan on the fly because while it was calm we sat down and said what would we do if these things happen and we we have a Game response it. scenario we have pre-populated press releases we have you know pre-positioned uh, uh, um, apparatus for reunification but you're 100% correct that uh, there are parents and students glued to television sets watching this, thinking, what would we do if this was our school? And unfortunately, there's more and more of them saying, well, this was our school just last year, and now it's their school. Um, you know, it's we're heading, if we were on a roadmap right now, on a journey, I think that we're heading towards normal. And we just, uh, somebody's, we, we've got to be able to, to take a turn here. But again, that's going to be student-driven. I, I think some of our listeners and viewers already, and I'm sort of predisposed to think of this, it kind of seems normal to me. Um, you know, the it's this crazy ritual that we have that, you know, 
there's the shooting. You hear about the reports. There's all sorts of misinformation or, or shades of detail. You go through all that stuff. You see the kids uh, following cops single file with their hands. You know, you see those aerial helicopter shots. You see the parents. You have reunifications. You have this kind of stuff and the grief and the whole thing. I mean, it's and then within days, it's too soon to talk about this. And, you know, it's that people have different opinions on how normal it is or whatever, but it sure is happening uh, often enough and, and in such a, a rhythm and routine that it's um, got to add to that frustration. If we were to put um, five random folks in a room and say, I'm going to tell you that you're going to turn on the television set and you're going to see about a, a shooter. Mm-hmm. There was a shooting on a campus. Tell me what you're going to see on television in the next hour. Right. And they will all come up with exactly the scenario. I'm right. going to see kids with their hands up being let out by heavily armed police officers. I'm going to see parents screaming and crying. I'm going to see an interview with neighbors saying, oh, he was a good kid. He was kind of quiet. Yeah. We're going to get something about whether he was bullied. There's going to be speculation. There's going to be X, Y, and Z. And so that you're right. That would be almost if that five group of five people can come up with exactly what is going to happen. We're at normal. Well, so uh, that uh, let's let's uh, sort of get towards the end here with this because this isn't just the law enforcement uh, protocol. This is a uh, uh, you know having worked in newsrooms myself. There's also a uh, it's become a sort of a rote response when there's uh, mass shootings or school shootings. The newsroom, everybody drops everything. Okay, I need these three reporters. You want you want to go out and get parents' reaction. You go straight to the to the LA County. Uh, you're you're dealing with uh, law enforcement. You're doing you know we're doing helicopter. Uh, we need the the uh, the anchor to uh, you know kind of ad lib and riff for the next hour and a half with these details. That also affects you know the fact that you're talking about. We know exactly what five beats are going to are going to appear on television and on online and everything else. That's a function of how the media is covering it as well. Has, do you have any thoughts one way or the other as, as to what a better way or not to put a value judgment on it, but is there something that's not being served or overserved with uh, this kind of coverage, with the way that we do it now? That's a, it's an excellent question, and I, I think that there is a responsibility, right, of the press to be able to get out the information, and there is only, there's, there's only really so much information, and yeah. I think it does fall into those blocks. Mm-hmm. You know, say, How else do you do it? Yeah, we want to know, uh, you know, What's the, you know, what happened? Uh, give me the best detailed events of what took place. And there's there's an important responsibility of the press to get that information out as quickly as possible. I think that uh, I know we're having liaison with local uh, uh, um, uh, press groups that there uh, is uh, a sense of that responsibility uh, to take. You know, I've, I've actually been in cases before where they've alerted me that uh, to information that I didn't know mm-hmm. that was about to be broadcast, you know, mm-hmm. as a heads up, as a courtesy. Mm-hmm. So I've actually believed that it's more of a help than it is a hindrance. Right. I believe that there's an equal share of responsibility to accurately get the news out there. What concerns me is many parents will go away from the legitimate news source and go to some sort of a Facebook page or social media page that will then all of a sudden uh, ramp up what already is an incredibly frustrating situation. Misidentifying a potential shooter or bad details, uh, you, you know, all sorts of things like that. Yeah, we're not, uh, we're certainly suffering from that as well, right. which isn't entirely the media's fault either. It's sort of a, a no. pervasive attitude these days. Well, and I think what happens is because all the media is reporting, um, the media was working under uh, 
some t- sort of juris, you know, uh, right, journalistic right. requirements. They can't, they won't speculate, right. and they won't throw out I information. Say, there's a certain reserve. There's a certain objectivity there. Right. We, we, you know, we we can tell you kind of what we're hearing, but we don't want to tell you everything you we're bet. hearing. And there's all that. There's kind an of stuff integrity there. part of that that I'm not going to tell you information. I'm yeah. not certain about where there's no integrity <laughs> on social media. I, I think it a lot all the time. I mean, I'm very close to that end of it, and uh, being that close to it, I am you know, uh, inundated with, that's how you do it. So I'm a little too close to it to figure out how to get out of that box as well. But it seems to me that there's a, that's at least a a part, a third of the equation there as well as how, how we're, how we're putting that information out there, how we're getting the information and people are reacting to it. And, you know, is it better to not show anything and just strictly, you know, bullet points and details and things, or is it better to, you know, show bodies, uh, you know, being carted away or something to really hit it home? Although that risks overdoing it. Part of it, this is a, a fantastic conversation. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I would say is part of it is what's the media response uh, a year or 18 months from now when an after-action report does come out and show that there was some fault in the system? That'll be yeah. the third page of the LA Times right. and probably won't make doesn't national make the TV news. news. Doesn't, it doesn't um, make the local stuff. And so our parents, again, aren't glued to the television set saying, wait a minute. You know, there's a a, a relatively, in the bigger picture, there's a relatively small group of impacted parents from that school Mm -hmm. that are incredibly interested in that. But I think the if we could match the intensity sure. of what we actually the facts that we learned and lessons learned with the intensity of the moment, uh, that maybe would be my challenge to the media. Indeed, uh, I I I. And with you on that challenge, you know, it's not always about ratings and, and clicks and everything else that, uh, you know, the public good is is, is served by uh, some of these less glamorous details farther on down the line. So I would ask, uh, finally, sort of, do you have advice, tips, things like that for uh, uh, anybody going through this today or, or, or in general? Uh, yeah, what I would say, uh, I guess my advice is this, is um, across the board is fight the paralysis and uh, become involved that uh, whether as a parent or as a student uh, ask knowledgeable questions about what not only what the plan is and not just related to active shooter what's our safety plan in general Mm -hmm. california has a law that requires every school to have a comprehensive safe school plan i'm an expert in that law and i teach to it I can tell you that probably 90% of the schools in California aren't in compliance with the letter or the spirit of that law, but nobody knows. Uh, you know, uh, so f- f- just here in California, I'd find out what the, what that law is and then mm-hmm. uh, ask, are we in compliance with this? And don't just take that answer. Um, I would say there are experts out there like myself that know about these things and seek expert advice as well, independent, not just what our schools are telling us, but some type of independent audit. Um, uh, And and really just not for the purpose of, you know, um, exposing anybody, but for the purpose of improving and minimizing the chance that something might slip through the cracks and we, uh, something happened that we otherwise might have been able to avoid or even if something happens that we would have been able to more efficiently respond to it and avoid some post-event you know, injuries or um, even deaths had we, um, had we just followed the plan that was in place. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be my advice is uh, please get involved and know what the, don't just take it for granted that it's happening. 
get to the next and don't level. wait till it happens at your school or, or no. whatever the case is. Yeah, it's way too late then. Yeah, and exactly. uh, but I and I know how scary that is. But I'm going to ask you, you know, when uh, <laughs> uh, as a parent, you know, when your kids are looking at you and saying. Uh, I, I'm not so sure about going to school today, you know, and I have to be able to confidently say, you know what, sweetheart, um, uh, we're going to go to school today and they're absolutely, I don't believe anything bad's going to happen. And, uh, because I have total confidence that, mm-hmm. uh, because we talked about this last time, right? What they talk, an educator is referred to as in local parentis mm-hmm. during that school day. They're acting as the parent. Mm-hmm. I have to have 100% confidence, not hope fingers crossed, but 100% confidence that that school is looking out for my child, both on the front side, during and after, exactly the same way that I would do it. That's my advice. (laughs) Ask the questions and be sure. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Eric Rossoff, again, thank you for being with us today. It's an unfortunate reunion. Um, uh, Thank you for all this good advice and and good information here. Uh, Like I said, we've Got some of these details may change as, as the as the day proceeds, um, but uh, we really appreciate your insight. Uh, and Campus Safety Group is uh, it is probably going to get some calls uh, this week as far yeah. as this stuff goes. Um, we'll of course uh, put some uh, details in, in our descriptions uh, of this podcast. Thank you again. Thank you for for coming in today. Uh, you can find our content on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and on YouTube. Get updates and subscribe to our newsletter, TrueCrimeDaily.com. Until next week, thank you. Thank you.